Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 209. My guest on this episode is returning to the back of the range for another episode, and for good reason. After capturing the 2021 Western Amateur Championship, I had to get Michael Thorbjornsson to join me again for a conversation about his fantastic summer of amateur golf. He didn't have the best freshman season at Stanford, which we spoke about in depth, but he turned a corner at the Sunnyhanna and at the Northeast Amateur. And if you saw what happened at the Mass Amateur Final against Matt Parziali, well, you sure weren't surprised to see what he did at the Western Amp. Course record 62, medalist honors, running through the Sweet 16 to win the championship. He basically won the Triple Crown at the Western Amp. Before jumping into this episode, remember, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. Also, another thank you really needs to go out to the Western Golf Association and Glenview for the amazing week that I had at the Western. As I said in the last episode, I was on the road for a month. I saw a ton of golf, worked and met with some incredible people, but the attention to detail displayed by the entire staff at the Glenview Club and the collaboration between the Back of the Range and the Western Golf Association. Remember, they announced this collaboration back in the spring. Patrick Donahue, John Borneman, Steve Pirelletti, the whole crew at the WGA, they really did make me feel like part of the team for the entire week, and I hope to work with them again in the future. Let's get started. Michael, again, you're at the back of the range. How are you? Doing well. Thanks again for having me. Of course. Good uh, to be back. Yes, sir. Well, you know, you keep winning. You keep doing great things. Uh, there's, there'll always be a spot for you here. And um, last time I saw you a little bit at the uh, at the USAM, and then obviously uh, spent the whole week at the Western Am. You are the reigning Western Amateur Champion, so it's nice to reconnect and hear some stories from this great summer you had. Before we jump into the summer, um, you are a uh, an incoming well, not incoming, you're returning to Stanford as, as for your sophomore season. But Stanford's on a little bit of a different schedule than a lot of uh, the programs in the country. Uh, we were just talking about that, you know, a lot of the teams are back at school and they're showcasing all their new gear and first day of practice and photo day and all that stuff. Um, where are you right now, Michael? Yeah, I'm currently at home in Wellesley, Massachusetts, <laughs> twiddling my thumbs. <laughs> because yeah yeah, your season doesn't start for a couple weeks so you're just kind of uh um i mean yeah what are you doing to keep yourself sane right now i can't even fathom what you're going through yeah um basically i try and sleep in as much as possible to take a couple hours off the day (laughs) okay Um, solid smart i'll uh find my way um over to get some food and then head to practice uh, hit a bucket of balls just to stay in shape and everything. And then after that, come back home, work out a little bit, get dinner, and then call it a day, basically. Wow. You really you really are exerting yourself to the highest limit, aren't you? You're really pushing, oh, yeah. uh, really pushing the envelope. I feel like I got you out of bed. I mean, it's basically 10.30 a.m. I mean, <laughs> I feel like you're just kind of like, all right, time to start. Uh, it's time to start the day here. Well, you know, you're going to be heading back to reality pretty soon. And, uh, right. and it's, and well, I don't know if you want to call Stanford reality. That seems like just an elevated version of reality where you have extremely challenging classes and, and, uh, and a lot of practice. So it's probably good that you're catching up on sleep. Um, we'll talk about your summer, which was just excellent, uh, an excellent summer campaign of amateur, amateur golf, but, Last time we spoke was uh, earlier this year in March, and a lot of the things we talked about on that previous episode was, um, you know, a lot of your your junior career and, um, you know, the great experience you had at the Walker Cup practice session, and then just, you know, really, you, I don't think you actually were on campus yet. Um, that episode launched in March, probably right around the time that you made your collegiate debut, I believe, at the Cabo Collegiate in Mexico, you know, walk me through a little bit about what the what the kind of adjustment period was like for your first season at Stanford. A lot is different from college golf. 
um, compared to junior golf. Yeah. Uh, just starting off by just being at school, living at school, practicing with the team, traveling with the team. Um, that was a first I have. I mean, I've never really been a part of a team like that before. Sure. Uh, where everything I do like isn't really by myself. I always have my coaches and fellow teammates that I'm thinking about. Um, as for the tournament um, process and how that went, it was definitely probably some of the worst golf I've played in years. Um, didn't have any, I don't even think one solid finish, but fortunately I did have a couple good rounds up there. So the confidence wasn't too high, but just understanding that this is my first year in a new environment, it's going to take some time to kind of adjust and get used to things. Do you, I mean, if you had to pinpoint, uh, you know, we could talk about, okay, maybe there was something in your swing or something that just you weren't comfortable with on the golf course or just new environment. Um, you know, are, are you able, and this is something that, you know, uh, junior golfers can really learn something from this or, or, you know, people that are maybe entering their second year of collegiate golf. Can you pinpoint maybe any things that maybe were tough for you to overcome that you're going to have an easier time with as you go into your sophomore season? Pro yeah, probably just the fact that I'm closer with my teammates and with my coach just understanding that they always have my back. I mean, yeah. I, well, I already knew that, but going out there representing Stanford and the whole crew, I mean, that, that's just a lot of additional pressure yeah. um, put on yourself. I mean, I'm pretty sure every golfer you ask them, like, who, like who's the hardest on you? They'll probably say themselves. 100%. But just having teammates that you're really close with and coaches that you want to play well for, um, just definitely adds a little bit of pressure and maybe I couldn't handle that or whatever. But I think the main problem that I had last year was I kind of just got sloppy with my swing and ball striking, driving. That's the strength of my game. Yeah. And the fact that I didn't really have that and I was struggling with that the whole last year, um, definitely posed some problems, but fortunately I did manage to, improve my short game like my putting uh chipping and pitching and especially from like 60 70 yards somewhere that i've kind of struggled in the past like for example like on a par five if i can't reach it in two um which doesn't really happen that much yeah i was just gonna say but, um, who are we talking to right now i mean uh, i mean i understand <laughs> i say that crap but you saying you can't reach a par five and two which, I mean, what 800-yard par five are you playing recently? I mean, come on. Let's let's get, get serious here. Maybe I should rephrase and say the par four is that I can poke a little bit. There you go. Um, yeah, I wouldn't really feel comfortable leaving myself with, like, a flip wedge um, in the past. But now it's, okay, get as close as you can to the green, and the proximity should decrease as well. So, yeah, so just going into this year, just – understand like i've been there before like this is nothing new now so hopefully i can settle in um pretty easily yeah you know it's it's funny um you know most golfers amateurs we try and stay away from that 40 to 50 yard shot that's an uncomfortable yardage it's not something we want to find ourselves in a lot so typically you know speaking as, a, as an old guy as a mid-am yeah when i'm playing a par five and i know i can't get there in two uh, if I hit a good drive, I, I, I have a shot, you know, obviously, okay, uh, 275, I can't reach the green. Well, I don't necessarily want to hit three wood and leave myself 30, 40, 50 yards. I want to, you know, lay something up to, you know, 105, 85, where I have a full full wedge of some sort. Right. But I guess with your game, you almost have to make that a strength because if you don't make the 40-yard wedge shot a strength in your game – you're basically making your length um, uh, useless because you, you know you're gonna you're gonna take driver out of your hand if you can't get that forty yard wedge shot mastered. Right, exactly. Um, it's funny how you mentioned DJ earlier, um, but that's something that he really tried to improve on, and that's what took him to that next level. Yeah, when, like five six years ago, he obviously is an extremely long hitter, but he said that his wedges 
we're lacking. I mean, with how many times he'll be approaching greens with wedges, he wasn't, that wasn't a strength of his, but now it is. And you can see what he's doing on tour and what he has done on tour for the past five years. It's unbelievable. So let's drill down on this a little bit, not to get too, uh, you know, too granular on our conversation. There's some fun stuff I want to talk to talk about as well, but how do you, and this maybe ties into the facility at Stanford, how do you actually approach working on that part of your game? Um, you know, obviously there's technology with TrackMan, but are there any drills? Are there any kind of maybe games that you've set up or, or ways that you can hit? I mean, are you just hitting a bucket of balls towards a, towards a, a sign that says 50 yards? How are you approaching adding that, uh, adding that as a strength to your game? Prior to going to school, um, obviously not really good. This part of the game, I wasn't really strong, like good at, um, didn't really know how to practice it either. Other than just going on the range and hitting the flags, like 70, 80 yards. Sure. Um, but at Stanford, I mean, Conrad is all about short game pitching, just like the scoring clubs, the scoring distances. And every day at practice at the end of practice or during practice we always have some type of drills where okay you have to hit this one flag which is 50 if you hit it then you can move on to the next one um and you basically have like 30 balls or so and you just want to see how many you can land within that within that area if that makes sense sure that's just one example of a drill um probably my favorite drill is where you have a partner and they go out into the range and they will stand from <laughs> distances 40 to I think 120. Sometimes the yardages differ, but they will just go out there to a random yardage. We'll be on the phone and they're going to say, okay, land this where I'm at, which is 50 yards. We try and hit them. And then they pace off the, the distance that we hit it to them. Really? Okay, I've never yeah. heard that. So you so you basically get your AirPods in so you can hit, and they have AirPods in out there on the range. And, um, wow, this feels like a commercial for Apple AirPods. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's not. It's not. I'm not sponsored by Apple um, someday, maybe. I don't know. But uh, So basically, you guys just get on the phone, and you're just talking while you're hitting and, and while they're out there pacing off shots. Right, exactly. That's really cool. Um I don't know anyone that would trust me enough to do that. Uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, that wouldn't be good, but that's interesting. Huh. Um, all right. Talk to me a little bit about campus life. We've talked a lot about golf and a lot about playing golf at Stanford and tournaments and practicing, but um, you know, you mentioned, you know, first you're coming from, uh, you know, Massachusetts. I know you spent some time, you know, at, at you know, in high school in Massachusetts, but you're also at a, you know, prep school in Florida but man, big campus, lots of new people, lots of new experiences, people coming from all over the world. I mean, how, how was campus life for that, for those first, there really weren't very many months, but you were on campus. What was that like for you? It was different. I mean, it was nice to be at school, obviously, right. um, rather than being at home doing nothing, I guess, but everything was virtual. We didn't have any in-person classes, but yeah, I didn't really get to meet that many people other than like in my online classes, which is kind of tough to meet people in any way. Sure. sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess I really try to focus on getting to know the team as much as I could. Yeah. I mean, we all live together on the sa- in the same hallway. So just knowing that I always have someone there if I need help with like schoolwork or if we want to go to the range together or whatever, just always know, knowing that I have someone to like to keep me company um, was very nice. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you've known Carl for, for quite some time, but then you got guys like, you know, Barkley Brown who got to, you know, play Walker cup for GB and I uh, this past year at Seminole. Right. And, then, and then obviously, and then obviously you have just the old, the old guy, the, the dad on the team, Henry Shimp. I mean, that guy, yeah. Uh, I mean, that guy obviously can help you with, with homework. I think he's a professor there by now. He's been there so long. Um, I, I'm guessing at a place like Stanford, you lean on a guy like Henry or some of the seniors to kind of help you kind of find your way um, because it is a lot. I mean, whether it's virtual classes or not, it's still that's a lot just to try and figure out with, with 
playing golf, being in a team environment. You got to handle your classes. Um, it's a lot of work. Definitely so, is. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this summer. Um, you know, we just talked a little bit about your freshman season, you know, some, some signs of, uh, of really good play. I mean, you had a great final round at PAC 12 championships and, you know, you had some top, uh, you know, top 20 finishes, but things kind of really took off for you this summer. And uh, I don't know how you, how you pulled off back to back 11th place finishes at the Santa Hannah and the Northeast, uh, same stroke total and seven back of the leader or the champion in, in back to back weeks. So that, that's kind of a, uh, a freak occurrence, but I guess those two weeks kind of showcase that, okay, maybe things are trending, so to speak, as, as us talking heads like to say, what, what started clicking for you right around those two tournaments before you head into the Massachusetts amateur? Um, I think probably just the fact that there's no, like nothing else I really need to worry about other than my game and getting to those tournaments. Okay. Um, Last summer, I mean, I'm pretty sure you can remember me uh, at Bandon Dunes oh, writing yeah. out my my project. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Um, you you in the lobby of Bandon Dunes, uh, you know, you I think you, you know, you're you're lost in match play, and you know, I'm in there with the USGA working on media, and you're in the lobby in front of a laptop, and like I went on the course and came back several times. You didn't move for like six hours, so um, <laughs> that was yeah, that was that was very memorable. So so go ahead, yeah. Last summer you're working on classes. Yeah, so this summer I decided not to take any classes, just uh, see how that is, and also I feel like if I don't have anything to worry about, then I can just be completely focused on the golfing part. Um, and I think that, that definitely helped a lot, um, as well as kind of just taking apart my swing and just working with my dad a lot, making sure that the swing is strong and stable so that I can play these tournaments rather than just hitting on the range, hoping it's straight and whatever. So it took a week or so probably to adjust back, uh, to the proper, more correct swing that we've been wanting um and yeah i mean with the amount of time that i had after school ended and that first event uh sunny at the end of june i had definitely enough time to to get ready for that so you have two great events there i mean these are two of the marquee summer amateur invitationals uh throughout the country i mean the fields are fantastic so you know you pick up you know i'm just going to give you two top tens i mean i can't say i mean two top 11s i don't know how that works (laughs) but anyway so two two really high and solid finishes and then you actually play in the massachusetts state amateur for i believe was this your first time ever playing in the state in massachusetts yes it was yeah and and I guess some people would say like, well, wait a minute, you grew up in Wellesley, Mass, and um, I mean, was it just it worked with your schedule, or you know, how what was the decision process to to play in that? I mean, they have fantastic tournaments. It's one of the best state golf associations in the country. Uh, I'm I, you know, people are probably curious why wouldn't you play in it before, but I'm also curious, you know, what was the decision to to play in it this year? Um, so just in general, um with Wagger and everything and all the rankings, rankings are so important to get into different events. And at the time, my ranking wasn't too high um, just because of college and all that poor play. Sure. But I was thinking, okay, you know, I don't have a tournament after Northeast Dam before Western Dam. This is what Conrad and I were talking about a good amount just before leaving. Um like I got to play something in between those four weeks just to keep in shape. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I may be practicing, but it's not going to be the same as actually playing in a tournament. So we were looking around checking like Southern Am, um, North South. And with me this summer, since I was basically going to be on my own, <laughs> basically just living with my girlfriend, right? I'm trying to find tournaments close by. Like, Northeast is 50 minutes away from my house. Sunny Anna, my girlfriend and I did a nice little road trip over there. Sure. Um, I mean, the Western was probably the furthest one away in Chicago. And again, drove to Oakmont. 
So I was thinking, okay, I can't really go too far. So having the mass amateur be a seven-minute drive from my house. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. It was quite convenient, yeah. So this mass amateur at Braeburn, um, you know, two rounds of stroke play, get to the low 32, then you go into match play. So it's it's kind of a condensed version of a Western or USAM, you know, whatever you want to look at it. But, you know, it's just nice little, uh, you know, tournament. And you go in there and, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that the final was 36 holes, you never would have seen the 18th hole in match play. The closest uh, one of your, you know, the closest victory you had was three and two. I just can't fathom. First of all, how do you approach that golf course, you know, as far as the length of it? And obviously you're swinging well. And this kind of goes into what we're going to talk about at the Western as well. How do you approach practice rounds with your length you probably see golf courses a little bit differently because you don't necessarily have to take the traditional lines. Um, but you also know that weather can change from day to day. So when you have a practice round, are you looking at, okay, this is, this is the, like the green light line off the tee. If there's great, you know, wind and weather conditions, or this is what I should probably do. Um, if the weather, I mean, how do you look at your lines off the tee in a practice round? I mean, right away, I'm not sure if, if I think too much about it, I guess, but I'll hit driver if it doesn't really seem like driver's not too bad of a club. See where the ball ends up, see what, I mean, what bunkers are close or what trees or if the na- fairway narrows um, or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, it kind of started – at Rayburn I didn't get a practice at Rayburn uh practice run at Rayburn and the course is kind of it's a short kind of tricky little course um during some holes and I felt that okay I'm I'm hitting the ball well progressively throughout the week um I think I shot eight under in the second round of uh stroke play yeah after somehow shooting one over the first (laughs) the first day yeah, I think you tied um, tied a course record at Brayburn in that second. Yeah, round. yeah. Um, so I, I was just kind of just ripping driver just for fun, the fun of it because there are like I think three or four pretty drivable par fours out there, and just with the amount of drivers I was hitting, and I'm kind of hitting these par fours like playing them as par threes, very long par threes. Sure kind of force myself to be very accurate with my driver, um, trying to leave it just in front of the green or just around it. And I guess that kind of continued over um, to the Glenview uh, Club at the Western just because, okay, I've been aiming at greens. Now I can actually aim at fairways. Right. And it's just, okay, if I pull it or push it a little bit, I'm not going to be blocked out by trees by the green. I'm just going to be in the rough. So if I'm hearing this correctly, you, you look at Brayburn, it's a shorter course, and your thought process is, well, I'm still going to hit driver. I still need to take advantage of this strength in my game. I'm just going to need to do a better job of hitting it. So you're thinking that way instead of saying, well, this, this course is short, it's tight, I'm going to need to hit some irons. You're, you're, not doing, you're not thinking that. You're thinking, I need to take advantage of my strength. I'm just going to have to be better at it. Yeah, and and then just the confidence just kind of came back to me. It just the feel of it too. Like I, it was just like pulling a trigger at that point. Gotcha. Like okay, I see where the green is. I know where my ball needs to go. Just hit the ball there. You're the first teenager to win the Mass Amateur title since 1997. Your final match was against. I mean, really, if we want to talk about maybe the face of amateur golf in the state of Massachusetts for the last five years. I mean, uh, you know, Shannon Johnson, of course, is in that, is in that company. Uh, there's several other players in the area as well. I mean, it's just a hotbed of, of great amateur play, but you face Matt Parziali, 2017 U S mid amateur champion in the, in the final. 
and I know you're feeling good, you're feeling confident, but you, you know who the hell Matt Parziali is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not to say, you know, level of intimidation or level of nerves, but I'm guessing going into that final was a little bit different for you as opposed to other other matches. Definitely. A hundred percent. I mean, if you think about the USAM, um, like that's a tournament that you'd face off against Matt in. And yeah. I mean, the USAM is the biggest tournament in the world for amateur golf, basically. And just knowing that I'm playing Matt in this mass amateur, it's it kind of, we kind of forgot about what we're playing for. It's okay. I'm trying to beat Matt, who's an extremely good player. Yeah. I'm going to need to play well myself. I've spent time with him, uh, you know, loved, love. I mean, obviously his story when he won the mid-am, you know, being a, being a firefighter at, at a, in Brockton and just, I mean, a lot of publicity, but also just such a solid guy. Right. And, um, and, and you beat him eight and six, but uh, I'm guessing he was incredibly gracious and just was kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm playing against a 19-year-old kid that's just taking lines that I'm not taking. Um, obviously you're thrilled to win and have your name engraved on the trophy, but what was the day like just the conversations in between shots and just the, the camaraderie of like, Hey, it's two USGA champions in the final. Uh, I'm guessing that was not just special. Like I said, for, for the fact that you won, but also probably just special that you're having these conversations with Matt as you're walking down the fairway. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so my girlfriend caddied for me that whole week. Oh man, I have so much to thank for her for that. <laughs> well, give her some, um, give her some pub. Give me an example of a story. I mean, let's 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 you know give her. I mean, you're just you're just you know adding credit. You're at, you're just giving you're you're helping yourself out for future you know uh, times that you need her to caddy. So this is good. Give yeah. me an example. Um. Well, first, I, I feel bad just because of how hot it was that whole week. It was in the mid nineties every single day. Oh no. No, no clouds whatsoever um and she's carrying probably the heaviest bag that i've ever like held in my life it, i can't believe i let her carry that i think we had like two umbrellas like 20 golf balls oh no her her jackets my jackets for if it rains um yeah i mean every day we we get out there um i mean and we're basically playing 36 holes for i think three days in a row and the first 18 is always so so it's like it's okay because it's starting to get hot and whatever and <laughs> i think as we start our second 18 i can kind of see the heat get to her i mean it's getting to me <laughs> and i'm not doing anything i'm just hitting a ball and she's carrying this i'd have to say it's definitely at least 30 pounds Okay, so so wait a minute. I mean, it's not a staff bag. What you know? What did you? I'm, we're not going to mention any any name brand of the bag, but like, is there a reason that you you did that to her? Or, I mean, just just trying to be clever. Like, what happened with the bag? I wasn't aware I was doing it to her. <laughs> okay, and, until it's funny. I only realized on the last hole of the tournament that the bag was this heavy. Uh huh. Because she went to go to the bathroom as I walked up to the green, and I said, "Okay, I might as well just carry it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? See what it feels like. like. Why not? Like, try and help her out a little bit. I pick it up, and I'm like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what is going on here?" I was, I was gonna one arm strap it uh -uh. just because I have to walk up 150 yards to par three, but I, I couldn't do that. I had to go double straps oh as I'm walking god. up to the green. In the hot weather, gosh, I'm forever thankful and grateful for her for doing that. What? Um, so I'm just curious here. Uh, is she reading the greens? She clubbing you? I mean, like, how much are you leaning on her expertise in the game of golf? Obviously, she's an accomplished player that knows the course, knows your game, knows the intricacies of, of, of golf. So, I mean, how much was she helping you on, on the golf course? Well, Corey actually does, she doesn't play golf. Oh, okay. Oh no. Yeah. So, so actually, the first time that she ever caddied for me was the last round at Sunny Anna, and I think we decided that she was going to caddy for me when I was on the when I was warming up for that final round. I said, "You want to caddy for me?" And she said, "Yeah, sure. Like, why not? Like, okay, because no we 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 didn't have a great round the day before." 
or I didn't play too great. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe if she's out there on the bag with me, we can talk and I won't get too upset about hitting a bad shot or whatever. Right, I can okay. just focus on having a good time. Uh-huh. And I think I started off like four or five under through six holes. Um, eventually shot like three under or so or whatever. But after that, I definitely knew, okay, with her on the bag, I feel like I'm just like a better person, a more pleasant person to play with. Keep keep, um, keep, keep going. This is good stuff. This is really going to help <laughs> you in the future with her. This is good. Yeah, keep going. You're a better version of Michael Thjordmornson with your girlfriend on the bag. That's what you're saying. Yeah, you can quote me on that. Uh, we're, we're leaving that in because, I mean, just, just at any time you need to re- refer her back to this episode, it's going to help you in the future. This is good. This is good stuff. Yeah, going back to that last round at Sunny Anna, just one funny moment on yeah. like hole five or so. We started on hole 10. So I think, yeah, 14, par three. Um, hit my shot on the green. And I'm looking at this putt, and it's kind of like a double breaker. You could see it going left a little more, or you could see it going right. So I, I call Corey over. I'm like, you know what? Why not? Like, we're just out here having a good time. Sure. Um, like Corey, what do you think? She says, <laughs> and, and she goes, um, I don't know. I think maybe a little left. Cause I had a feeling she was going to say left because the general slope of the green right to left, but that was the thing. I low key wanted to play it a little left to right. Cause I saw a little ridge on the left side or whatever. Sure. And so now she's standing I'm putting toward her, if that makes sense. Yeah. And she's like behind the hole. Uh-huh. So I hit the putt and you can see it's left, but then it comes right back right in the center of the hole. And so I get my ball, walk up to her and I'm like, okay, Kathy, listen, I'll do the green reading from here on out. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just the small stuff like that, that I don't know, just like makes me happy out there and, Whenever I'm happy, I mean, you can never play good golf when you're upset or angry. So I feel like that's one of the biggest things that I've been focusing on, Um, even last year at school and especially this summer, just having a good attitude and really just like moving on from some bad shots. And yeah, just having a good time because I'm playing golf. Like golf is what I love. Like I should be enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I I've, I've seen, you know, through, throughout this summer and then obviously me, uh, you know, obviously last year, USAM abandoned, I've seen a lot of, a lot of players with, with, uh, you know, girlfriends on the bag and it's, it's kind of cool because in some situations that the girlfriend may know golf may play, uh, herself on, on, on her collegiate or, or high school team. But then there are also those situations where literally it's just, hey, this could be fun. Let's spend time together on the golf course and yeah. a way of like learning like, OK, um, you know, w- when when, you know, when Michael Thielborn says I have to go to the golf course and, and practice or work uh, now, it's actually, you know, they may not have that kind of idea of what that entails. But then getting them inside the ropes and catting, they're like, oh, wow, this is yeah, I understand this a little bit more now. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, um, Corey really knew nothing about golf prior to us dating, and now she's I'm, a, she's, I'm a cha- she's a championship caddy now. Yeah, I know, and it's I think that's pretty cool that I've done that to her, just like opened her eyes to the game, yeah, and like everything that the the game brings, like with it. She says that it's one of the most interesting sports, like ever, just like with how mental it is and how precise you need to be with your irons and and drives and whatever, just one small miss here can result in some pretty disastrous um, stuff. I, uh, Hey, that's a, that's an awesome memory that you guys uh, had this summer. And uh, yeah, I mean, shit, you gotta, you gotta hold up your end of the game. She's a championship caddy. So you need to keep things going. Now we're going to go into the Western, which is where, you know, really you have this dominant performance uh, really from start to finish, you know, you, you, you set a course record, you win medalists, you, you run through match play pretty well unscathed. I think you had a couple matches there that were a little bit touch and go, but, um, uh, you go to the Western. Now, first of all, let's talk about all the great things that your girlfriend did at, at the, at the Mass Am. You effectively fire her to go with your, <laughs> with your friend Drew Cohen, and then he's on the bag. Um, 
so I guess we're talking about caddies now. Let's give Drew. I feel like we're talking about everyone else except for you. So talk to me about getting Drew on the bag, one of your childhood friends. Uh, he uh, he's getting better with the media attention. I had to work with him a lot that week, but he's getting better. Yeah, um, yeah. But but you two were just really just like you know two kids wandering around the golf course just having a blast. Um, give me uh, you know how did the phone call to Drew happen to to get him on the bag? Um. So basically, what happened was. It was uh, me, Drew, and Parker. Parker's like um, our third in our trio, right? I'd say. And so we're all just hanging out in Massachusetts. Um, this was right after the Northeast, because Drew caddied for me at the Northeast Dam. And oh, okay, so so he got. Oh, wow, you're just switching back and forth. He's, he's got to commit to one caddy. I mean, come on now. Yeah, yeah, I I really do. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Maybe the rules will change. We'll have them both on the bag. Yeah, I don't know about that, but I, I think Drew's going to lose <laughs> this in the end. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so he kind of for me at the Northeast, uh, finished 11th. We had some we had some good holes out there. Uh, so the history with Drew and I is we've been close ever since, like, seventh grade. He was a huge golfer. Um played in AJGAs. He went to IMG Academy with uh, Academy with me nice. freshman year uh, for golf. And yeah, I mean, we've been best friends since then. But I mean, I've had some other tournaments where I, I could have a caddy, but my parents would hate it. His parents wouldn't like it either. <laughs> uh, just like two 14-year-olds, so immature. Yeah, not a good idea. Um, not a good, yeah, at all. So now, I mean... Hopefully we're a little more mature. We're definitely older. Yeah. Um, so now I feel like I can make those decisions for myself, be able to trust myself and trust you that we can focus out there. And yeah. So, I mean, after seeing that at the Northeast Dam, I'm like, okay, Drew and I aren't the same like kids that we used to be. So we can actually like focus up and um, do something pretty cool. So I call him up. Um, we're actually together. I tell him, okay, you can catch for me at the Western NUSM. And he, his whole face lit up. He was so excited. Oh He's gosh. been waiting to hear something like that for so long. And so, yeah, what, what happened was he was in Chicago actually a week before I was just hanging out with one of his fraternity brothers. And I call him up saying, okay, I'm going to be here this day. Um, I'll stay with you and your fraternity brother. His name's uh, Joey. Like, I'll stay at that house um, for the first day, and then we'll get a hotel. And yeah. then after we get there, I'm like, okay, there's no way we're leaving. Like, we love, <laughs> we love this house. Okay. So we just can't, literally camped out in his basement. And, um, yeah. So when we when the actual tournament started, um. We stayed there, obviously, and I don't know. Drew and I just click out there, I guess. Like, we, we've been so close for so long. He knows me. He knows my game. Um, and he knows, like, how I approach the game, too, which is something very important for a caddy to understand sure. and to know. Um, as well as I feel like a lot of caddies that I have that are maybe more on the more professional side kind of get under my nerves a little bit. Just because they're telling me stuff that, like, I necessarily don't want to hear or, like, they're taking too much time to get a number or whatever. And, like, I just want to hit the ball where Drew knows me and, like, want to leave me alone when reading a putter or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And those are things that you have to have that you have to have that good connection with. And, and I guess I, I know I keep coming back to this about just, you know, distance. I mean, it's not like you're hitting at 390 every time, every time. I mean, it's not like that. It's not like you're some, you know, some freak on the long drive tour or something. But I guess when you do have that strength in your game that you absolutely have to uh, capitalize on, you kind of have to have a caddy. I mean, this is well before your time, but I'm kind of thinking back to when John Daly won the PGA Championship in 91 at Crooked Stick. He had Squeaky Medlin on, on the bag. And I just remember, I mean, you can go back and look at that on YouTube or, or on Golf Channel, but, you know, you'd think with this new, uh, you know, this this basically this new guy that got into the PGA Championship as like a seventh or ninth alternate, 
you'd think they're like, hey, let's just play conservative. You're lucky to be here. Let's just not go crazy. But no, Squeaky was just like, kill it. Just, you know, tee it up and kill it. And you have to have a caddy that is making you confident in those decisions that may or may not be the traditional play on a whole. So I'm guessing what you're saying is that Drew had your back and was like, yes, let's go for this. Yes, let's hit driver. Uh, we can take this this line. We could take this this corner. Let's go for it. So I'm guessing he was just on the same page with you the entire week. Yeah, 100%. Um, funny that you say that. There was actually a time where Drew's like, okay, let's hit driver. But I'm thinking about hitting an iron. Really? Okay. Um, so that was in the semifinal match against Greaser on hole 17. Um, I wasn't sure whether or not to, because I think that pin, yeah, the pin was back left. And I hit iron the day before or two days, I can't remember exactly when, but I hit iron. That kind of set me up in a bad position, made bogey. And this hole, I think, is like 360 to the front. The, the front, maybe like 325. And he said, okay, it's a little downwind. If we rip driver, even if you pull it a little bit, you're going to be fine. Push it, fine, or whatever. Like, we'll, we'll figure it out. So I just, I mean, I ripped driver and got it to the front of the green. Ended up making birdie, uh, which put me to one up, which was huge going into 18. But yeah, it's just knowing that I have another person on the bag that's like me and is approaching the game or is how, how would I say this? It's approaching the way that we play the course, the way I would play it. Right. Like, exactly. It's not him, how he would play it. It's okay. How would Michael play this best and how would it fit Michael the best? Yeah. He has to take all of his preconceived notions of how he would hit the ball or how he would play the course. He has to think like you, it has to be two, two minds uh, really going for that the same direction. Um, you mentioned greaser and I know in the final against Gordon Sargent won in the 15th hole, but I looked at that match that you had against greaser as really the main massive test that you had in match play. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that's kind of what I saw and mentioning Austin greaser from North Carolina, you know, when coming into the U S amateur, people were asking me like, Hey, you know, who, who do you like at the U S am? And I was like, well, obviously you got to look at Thurbornson, but, um, I mentioned Austin Greaser too. Were you even remotely shocked that he did as well as he did and reached the final of the USAM? Um, after his play at the Western, not at all. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we both played pretty similar games at the Western. Yeah. He pound he absolutely pounds the ball, hits it straight. <laughs> I know. Um, and his bunker play is unreal, actually. It is so I'd have to say it's it's annoying. I mean, he held out twice. <laughs> he held out twice against me in that match, and I'm standing there thinking, "What? Well, I can't play for that. I'm not gonna. I, I I just don't know how to deal with that." Yeah, but he did. He did it at the USAM too. He did. He did it in the final. I, I was. I, I saw that, and I was like, you know what, James? <laughs> that's what it feels like. <laughs> You're watching it like, see, see, it's yeah. annoying. <laughs> it happens. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, kudos to, to Greaser for having such an amazing summer as well. That he played some really good golf there those past three weeks. Yeah, that was uh, that. Yeah, I, that's one of the two two of the biggest takeaways. I mean, I had a lot of takeaways from the Western. That was uh, an incredible week for me. I just thought, I mean, first of all, how much do you miss the food at Glenview Club right now? Oh, so much. <laughs> oh, every day. I just, mean, I'm, I'm blessed. I, I spent a week on the road, or I'm sorry, I spent a month on the road. I mean, saw you at USAM, Western, US Junior, US Women's. Uh, I mean, a lot of great places I went to, but man, uh, every day at that place at Glenview. I mean, you, have you ever been treated like that at a tournament? I mean, that's the first, I mean, you know, that's a really tough question. You've played in a lot of incredible events, but that has to be right, right in the top. Yeah, that's definitely up there. Um, yeah, the I mean, not only was the presentation of the food really nice, oh, but man. the food itself was oh, really good and tasty. So good. The sweet sixteen dinner, Ben. Oh, you oh, should have been there. I was. Well, see, I was there. See, I was there at. Well, I wasn't inside the room. I was outside in the media center, having you know, allegedly a couple light beers and a, and a bag of crackers, just kind of peeking my head in. 
um, while you guys, I mean, that's a really special night. I'm glad you brought that up. So basically, Western Am, you have four rounds of stroke play. You go 18, 18, and then 36. That's a really long day, but you get into the Sweet 16. Obviously, you're you're free and clear as the medalist, uh, so that was a little bit less stress. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, you won the medalist, I believe, by one or two, but you know, you're in the Sweet 16. You know, you know, you're safe. But so, yeah, take me inside. What's that dinner like? I mean, the food, but also just the experience. Yeah, Carl has talked about that dinner a couple times and how how pretty like special it is. And I'm thinking, okay, well, most dinners usually are kind of boring and long and kind of like what what's the point whereas this one this one was pretty special i really enjoyed it a lot um fortunately i was sitting next to carl carl and i were at the same uh table and so we had i think the president of the glenview club there the um the president of the wga was at that table as well and got to talk to their families a little bit uh which was very nice and the oh, the, the dinner itself we had two entrees can you believe that <laughs> okay and it was funny because no one knew we we had two entrees until they actually handed out the second entree because we thought that there was a typo on the like on the menu or the schedule okay and we're thinking okay so we get scallops and pasta for entree one. And then we had a filet with the biggest piece of shrimp that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was, I think the, the shrimp was bigger than the filet. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, the food was amazing. And then they did that nice skit um, where they brought up the players, introduced the matches and just like asked us some questions about, I don't know, like golf from that week and also like from college and stuff like that. It was just all around great vibes, really enjoyed it. And hopefully I can get there next year again. That's really cool because I think a lot of it is, I think the other thing that I think that really prepares you for, I mean, you're probably not thinking about it at the time. You're thinking about, wow, I have, I have more golf to play and, and I'm probably hungry as hell because I've been on the golf course all day long. But I think it's also, uh, you know, when you probably get some chance to look back at it, you're thinking, this is giving me more experience having conversations, high-level conversations with titans of industries and and dignitaries of, of golf associations and, you know, presidents of a club. People that, uh, you know, sure, they can look at your score, but you probably want these people to know you more and, and know your personality, know your life experience, as opposed to, the, uh, there's the guy that's the medalist. There's the guy that hits the ball far, as opposed to just, right. right. So, I mean, it gives you a good, a good uh, you know, kudos to you to take advantage of that and actually enjoying the experience, as opposed to, okay, it's another dinner. Right, exactly, yeah. I mean, getting to know people or having people get to know you, right? not just as a golfer, but as a person. You go into this match play portion. It's just a long, and, and you know, it's funny. Obviously, this this happens before the USAM. It happens before the US Women's Am. But in both the USAM and the US Women's Am this year, the number one seed lost to the uh, 64. Now, obviously, there wasn't a 64 there. You're playing against the 16 seed. But um, were you pretty comfortable going in as the number one seed, or were you just? Did you have any thoughts behind in the back of your head? Said, okay. Um, you know, number one's great, but, uh, you know, um, that 16 guy is basically coming at me with everything he has because he has nothing to lose. So I think my mindset about like being number one seed or whatever kind of changed throughout the week. Um, I guess I kind of forced myself to change it because, I mean, starting off first day of uh, stroke play, Drew and I are thinking, okay, it's going to be a long three days, four rounds, we just got to play solid, just chill out there, shoot a couple under, make a couple putts, and we'll be fine by the end of the week. So we get there, ended up winning medalist, and we were so hype about that. I mean, they had the scoreboard wrong um, after 17 holes, so we thought we had the birdie to win and this and that. And uh, But by the end of it, when we won, we were so stoked. We said, okay, like, who cares about being a one-seed or two-seed, like, being a one seed is the same thing as being a 16 seed. So I'm not thinking like, oh, I'm held out, held up there at like a higher level than that 16 seed. We're just the same person. We're gotcha. in the same, we're in the same pool or whatever. 
but there were times where we're like, okay, we're the number one seed. Like, it's not like, oh, the one seed curse. It's okay. We're the one seed. We're number one right now. Everyone, I, I just beat everyone in stroke play. So that's some confidence that we definitely took into the match play portion of the event. Well, it obviously served you well. You just, you know, had a really great, you know, obviously you end up being the the champion. Uh, really, like I said, just kind of had a incredible week where you're setting a course record, shooting 62 and, and winning medalist, winning the championship. And uh, obviously it, it helps you with confidence. It helps you with your, your rankings heading into, uh, um, you know, a year when, you know, next year, uh, you know, or 2023 you know you got walker cup coming up at uh, at you know uh, the old course in st andrews obviously that's going to be on your radar after you know being at that practice session at uh, at bay hill so obviously it helps you and, and i'm imagining it's going to help you leading into a sophomore season at uh, at stanford definitely yeah i mean we all know every player out there knows that they can compete with the best almost anyone has a chance to win each and every week um, so just actually being able to do it and win and pull it off, that just gives me so much confidence that it's there. Like everything's okay. Like, yeah, just keep working on what I've been working on. Um, and things will turn out. Okay. Well, you're going to head to Stanford for your sophomore season. And, uh, I guess a, a couple weeks, um, I'm going to get you out of here. Um, I really appreciate the time as always, and, and glad we reconnect and, and talk about your, your summer before you head back to Stanford though, you need to make a pit stop apparently in Wisconsin of all places. Yeah. So your last, I guess your last summer trip, your last hurrah before getting back to school and, and being a college student, um, what are your plans in Wisconsin, and and why haven't I received an invite yet? That's that's really the main question here. I mean, what what's going on in Wisconsin? I think I mentioned Parker, um, our third in our trio. He goes to Michigan, so I think he's going to be making the trip over to Wisconsin as well, and we're going to watch the Penn State-Wisconsin game, uh, football game, on Saturday, and then the rest of the week is really up for grabs we're just gonna hang out they have a house right on the lake um and this is drew right this is your caddy drew again yeah this is Drew. so we're just gonna enjoy our last couple days of summer together and um get ready for school there you go sounds like some 14 year olds getting together but now they're a little bit older (laughs) yeah there's gonna be trouble but uh (laughs) i hope not well i mean not too much just a little bit yeah Um, as always, sir, fun to connect. Great summer. Um, really great performance at uh, at the Western and obviously Sunny Hannah. And um, excited to see what the fall season brings. I know uh, you and the rest of the Cardinal are getting geared up. Got some good tournaments coming up. I'm sure I'll see you out on the road at some point. And uh, as always, appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thank you again, Ben. Really appreciate you having me here and uh, looking forward to the next time. And there you have it. Special thanks to Michael Thorbjornsson for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every episode is available in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And go check out the website, thebackoftherange.com. For now, we'll see you again next time here at the back of the range.